Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we have with us Josh Silver, Northampton-based political consultant and expert. Josh Silver, thank you so much for being with us today. Coming up, we have the Iowa caucuses, the first in a series of major events that will result in a candidate for the Republican Party for president in 2024. The Iowa caucus is in, wow, less than three weeks. Tell us what you expect to happen there and why, please. Well, you, you'll be shocked to know, first of all, hello, folks. Um, Trump's going to win. Uh, he's up by 32.7 points in an average of polls. In Iowa, DeSantis is actually second, despite a lot of talk about how Nikki Haley, the former UN ambassador under Trump, is is ascendant, and she is. DeSantis is at 18 and a half points. Haley is at 16. And then Ramaswamy, that, that charming bastion of love, is at <laughs> six points. Chris Christie is... is uh, a distant, uh, he's he's pretty far behind now at 3.5%, the only voice of the Republican primary candidates who's very, very firmly anti-Trump, which is interesting in and of itself that if you had predicted, given the endless litany of fraud and felonies and offenses to virtually every non-cisgender white man in America, that you would think that the one person who is staunchly anti-Trump in the Republican primary would be doing better than 3.5% uh, on December 27th, 2023, but alas, not true. Uh, if you look nationally, uh, aside from Iowa, the first state um, to go to the polls next year, uh, Trump is, his lead is even more formidable. He's at, he's at 50, um, excuse me, 63.8%, which is sort of stunning. And uh, his, his amongst Republican voters, and you know the, his his next up are are even farther behind. You've got you've got DeSantis at eleven point six percent as the closest competition. So it's a blowout. Trump's going to be the nominee. I've said that all along. I continue to say it. Sometimes Bill Newman, folks, when uh, he'll shoot me an email saying, "Well, wow, I mean, Nikki Haley just got endorsed by the Cook brothers, and she's getting millions of dollars, and there's she's there's a hundred thousand doors being knocked in Iowa. It doesn't matter. DeSantis proved that he spent tens of millions of dollars door knocking, canvassing in Iowa, traditional methods that uh, historically uh, are 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 efficacious. They work, and they have not against Trump. So there we have it. Trump is the man in the Republican Party. Well, on that point for a moment, if we might, Josh Silver. We had on the show recently Jay Fleitman, who is the co-director of the DeSantis for President campaign here in Massachusetts. And of course, he was touting DeSantis and telling us how DeSantis was going to win and all that. I would like to know from you, given that DeSantis seems to have gone all in on Iowa, and given that he has, in fact, visited all 99 counties in Iowa, uh, and given that he has spent, spent a huge sum of money uh, on his ground game and otherwise in Iowa, if he doesn't do respectably in that caucus coming up, is he finished? Does he drop out? I mean, I, he has had so much money pumped into his campaign, it would be very difficult to imagine him dropping out after one result. But is he finished after four states, five states? Very possible. Um, you know, the art of the dropout is one that's very difficult to predict. Uh, but 
um, and I don't expect Nikki Haley to drop out uh, quickly at all. Um, the egos of these people are so giant that it's just really hard to predict anything logical to anything they do because their their self-image, their 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 the the role of ego in political decisions is not to be underestimated. But I will say that what's been fascinating to all of us has been, and I want to speak to today a little bit, is like everybody who listens to the show and is always, you know, pulling their hair out and saying, what, how, what is going on? How is this possible? I, I Like you, I'm in this constant um, sort of spiritual journey trying to figure out the mind of the, of the Trump voter. And, you know, I, I should say, you know, I have people I know in my life, uh, people who work on my house, people who I've known since I was a kid, who's, who still like Trump. And there, there are some common threads such as um, that, that are rational, things like the system is broken, it's corrupt, it favors the billionaire class and the wealthy. And I love that Trump is just sort of like a grenade that's blowing it up. We've talked about that before. And it is true. And the fact that he's just willing to be a skunk at every party is enormously appealing to what I would kind of categorize as the most impressive Trump supporters, if you will. And I don't want to be, sound derogatory because you know I do know people who I respect who, who still like Trump and come from very different background than I do. Um, but there was an article that came out recently in Counterpunch and it's co-authored by our own Matea Kramer, who's a local, uh, I think a Franklin County resident, Western Mass resident. Um, and about the connection between drug addiction, loneliness writ large, and the popularity of Trump. And in the article, and this is really fascinating, in the article, they interview an older, an octanagerian, I think he's in his 80s, he's a lifelong um, person who studies uh, addiction, uh, substance addiction, and loneliness, anxiety, depression. and. And the article says, after more than half a century studying addiction, this expert named Bruce Alexander no longer separates compulsive drug use from other dependency. He categorizes addictions to alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, power, a sense of superiority, and a litany of other things as responses to the same underlying pain that when he uses the, the, the number one descriptor, is loneliness and what's most dangerous addiction of all of the 21st century he continues um, is the rising obsession globally with cult personalities like donald trump they make people feel included they give somebody to follow in a in a period where they feel like they're losing ground and that they don't have community and it's all compounded by the rising ubiquitousness of social media and smartphones and the internet and these social media communities that you've talked about a lot on your show that sort of reinforce reinforce what we call confirmation bias that consistently confirms our own existing opinions and biases even if they're wrong and they're based on myth and so this whole melange has been fascinating and i think does help explain the Trump phenomenon, and it might be able to also help listeners cultivate compassion as you find yourself growingly frustrated, increasingly frustrated. I think it's important that we understand these dynamics so that we don't fall prey to the sort of 
wanting to just like send every Trump supporter out to an island in you know another part of the world. Well, Josh, I have t- two responses, and I appreciate your your uh, pushback or agreement, as the case may be, on these two points. First, Hillary Clinton made a disastrous statement during the 2016 campaign when she described, I think, Trump supporters, essentially, as a basket of deplorables and made people say, see, those elites hate us. They want to they want us out. They want to replace us. They think nothing of us. They have no respect for us. And we're going to find someone who does and who speaks for us. And I think that a lot of what you were saying goes to that issue of making people feel excluded and unimportant and not respected. And and I would appreciate your response to that. And then I have a second uh, point I'd like to get back to you on with regard to this uh, psychological phenomenon. But in fact, I think that these are all related. Trump actually speaking for people who feel like they no longer have a place in the United States because the elites who run the country think they are part of that basket of deplorables. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, Bill, we've talked about this over the years in terms of it is no coincidence that Hillary Clinton has a husband named Bill Clinton, a two-term president, relatively popular, who sort of pioneered the Democrats' uh, major push that started in the 90s into very assertively serving the elite corporate class. And this is not something that's arguable. This is fact that the Clintons were always rolling on private jets with billionaires, titans of industry, favoring tax breaks to those major industries, generally very corporate sort of plutocrat friendly in their taxation and policy. Uh, generally, and people see that. And they saw and currently see that there is a large swath of the Democratic Party that has been extraordinarily friendly to major corporate interests, as has the Republicans, of course, Republicans even more so. And then they also see how the Democrats have more recently swung left and more uh, assertively embraced progressive taxation, progressive policies that actually do help the middle class more. And I would argue Biden is one of has ended up being one of the most progressive presidents in modern history and has had a has had a a track record as it relates to bolstering the middle class that is more impressive than just about any president in my lifetime. And I'm 55. And that's something that nobody seems to understand. And we'll talk about Biden popularity in a moment. But then you see the simultaneous problem where the far left has sort of captured significant elements of the Democratic Party and pushed the left into these extraordinarily destructive patterns of cancel culture, of preventing people who they disagree with from speaking on college campuses, on sort of this idea of like, you know, writing off people because of their their gender or their race in the opposite direction, which is ironically very kind of what we uh, progressives think of as as being sort of typically reactionary right wing. And this toxic stew has got the Democrats sort of stuck sort of between a rock and a hard place where Biden facing, you know, Trump in all likelihood next year 
is looking at losing major swaths of the progressive far left base because he can't have his cake and eat it too. He can't appeal to the common sense, moderate people who just want to have sane and reasonable policy and the far left that is has gone simply too far in the way I described. Josh, this is Buzz. I, I want to go back to that very interesting uh, thesis about loneliness and the role that it plays in uh, our experience in our very blue region um, in southwest Franklin County and uh, northeast Hampshire County. There's a group there, about 50 people, I understand. They're all Trumpists. They get together every Friday night. They socialize together. Um, and I, I do understand your explanation about loneliness and isolation. Many of us feel isolated in this privatized world that we live in. But um, the militia, these these strange caucuses throughout the country that are Republican enclaves, it seems to me that if loneliness is the driving force, they really manage to get together with other people and, and, and do sort of a social, political uh, effort to combat it if that's what's motivating them. But th they are very forceful in grouping with other people who feel the way they do. What do you say about that? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things, part of the same article that, that Matea Kramer co-wrote, uh, talks about a historian and philosopher named Hannah Arendt, who uh, studied this and in 1951 wrote a book. So folks, like, remember, we're talking about 75 years ago, a book called The Origins of Totalitarianism. And it it posited that people must be isolated from from another to fall in the grips of totalitarian regimes. She referred to widespread spread isolation as a, quote, pre-totalitarian state, suggesting that totalitarian domination bases itself on loneliness, on the experience of not belonging to the world at all, which is among the most radical and desperate experiences of man. And ironically, the Internet, which held this promise back in the early 2000s, to bring the world together, to connect us, has actually compounded this dynamic in modern society and in, in the United States. And it's absolutely fascinating to see how that dream of, of the internet having being this positive game changer was changed so dramatically by the major tech companies and their ability <clears throat> to mine data, to invade privacy, use your habits and your what you read and what you buy in order to group you and turn you into bubbles that are, are sort of set and segmented and how that has compounded this problem. But I would argue, Buzz, that it is this deep feeling of loneliness, this sort of modern capitalist view that it's like sink or swim. It's like rugged individualism. You have to make it on your own. This is something deeply imbued in American culture and modern capitalist culture has actually fed this. And the, the idea of shared meals and shared community centers and sort of traditional organizing spots where community is built and, and fostered are gone. And, it's, and replacing it is this desperate loneliness that is fed by an adherence, a following of these madmen like Donald Trump. There's another aspect of this that is very much on my mind today, and it's because I've been reading Rachel Maddow's new book, Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. And it reminds me of the day that my wife and I spent in Frankfurt as we were 
uh, in between flights on our way to visit our daughter in Mauritius. And we went to the Jewish Museum in Frankfurt. And what that museum exhibit says in so many words is Hitler did not exploit something that was new to Germany. Hitler exploited feelings of anti-Semitism that go back centuries and centuries, and he just knew it was there. He intuitively, instinctively, politically knew it was there. That is what yeah. frightens me most about Donald Trump, that he intuitively, instinctively, politically knows that this desire for this strongman, for this autocrat, for someone who will speak for those who feel forgotten is there, and he's going to exploit it. And we're going to talk about that more right after this. For my own, I'm so lonely. I'm Mr. Lonely. Wish I had someone to call on the phone. I'm a soldier. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision-making. Every Saturday morning, hear real-life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial Fitness with The Money Doctor, Francis Rayum, Saturday mornings at 8.30 on 101.5, 1400 WHMP. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op kitchen is always cooking. Get ready to go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Order sandwich platters or anything platters for lunchtime, party time, or any time. You like to bake? The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground up flour and grains, stone milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven, bread and brownies, cakes and cookies. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with political consultant Josh Silver. This is Political Gold with Josh Silver. And what I would like to know from you, Josh, is your analysis with regard to the underlying uh, popularity of authoritarianism in the United States. As I said, I've been reading 
Rachel Maddow's new book prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. And what she makes clear is that there was enormous support for Adolf Hitler in the United States through the 1930s, and it didn't really dissipate until Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. And then there seemed to be no choice for the United States. But Hitler was really popular. And that's the reason, of course, that many politicians actually either overtly or uh, uh, not overtly uh, supported him and supported Germany and tried to keep America out of the war in Europe. And this, yeah. this, this feeling, this allure of fascism, of authoritarianism has deep roots in the United States. And it seems to me what Trump knows is I can exploit that and I can bring many people along. And you look at those images of 20,000 people in Madison Square Garden in 1939 with their Nazi salutes and the swastika flags going, yes, support Germany. And you say, wait a second, has that all disappeared? Has that all dissipated? And I fear the answer to that is no. And that's what Trump really drills into. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I have a few, as you'd expect. One is racism, right? Like, there is no doubt that if a Jewish or Hispanic or black or Asian man had come up in the 1960s in New York, the son of a real estate magnet and a sort of a daddy's boy who was handed millions of dollars, who became a playboy, owned casinos, went bankrupt like four or five times, you know, Donald Trump's resume was held by anyone other than a non-Germanic, Aryan, straight, tall, white man. Would that man be nearly as popular with the Trump base as Trump currently is today? No way. And so anybody who's listening who supports Trump and thinks that racism doesn't play a role, it, you are completely missing the ball here. There are three other factors in addition to racism. Uh, a third, a, a second would be I would call disinformation or and or ignorance. People who do not get accurate information about what is happening in the world and who their leaders really are and what their track leaders are um, have done. Uh, a third would be just lack of cognition. And I know this is probably controversial, but you know. It, it, fortunately, stupidity transfer it trans um, it, it goes across all you know races, genders, and it is everywhere. And there are people who just can't get their head around what's going on. I'm sorry, but there just are. And then the, th the fourth would be greed. You have a lot of people who support Trump because he's good for the bottom line. So you put this toxic stew of these four factors of racism, of lack of facts or ignorance of lack of cognition or just plain stupidity and cannot understand what's going on and greed. And you have some sort of formula that underlies the, the popularity of, of a madman like Trump. And that's just the hard reality. I have a question in that regard, and it has to do with uh, who we here in Western Massachusetts are who talk about this a lot and are really worried about this and rightfully so. And that is that many people in the country are not as attuned to or concerned about or focused on politics the way that many of us are. And therefore, 
the polls that show that Biden is in deep, deep trouble now are not necessarily reliable because not everyone is focused on the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries. And it's only deep into the political season that many people really begin to focus on the question of who am I going to vote for? And they don't pay attention until after the candidates are actually selected at the conventions. And I'm wondering whether that is in your judgment, Josh Silver, whether that's right, that the polls in part are unreliable because people are not yet actually focused on that question of what they are they going to do when there's a ballot in front of them. 100%. And, and people who, uh, who get freaked out by the polls showing Trump walloping Biden should all, we've talked about this, should all calm down for that reason. But there is a piece in Politico magazine last week that is interesting, which makes the case, and I do generally agree with it, that while the media is commonly listing all these reasons why Biden is so deeply unpopular, I think his he, his approval rate somewhere around 38%. And he's never been as popular as someone like an Obama, although many, most have not. But they cite the COVID pandemic backlash over the Afghanistan withdrawal, growing polarization, all these um, legislative drama, legislative gridlock, all these reasons why Biden is unpopular when in fact, Joe Biden has never been that popular ever. Like he was a 36 year senator, when he ran for president the first time, he dropped out very quickly because of a plagiarism scandal. And like, he's just never been that popular of a character. And I, I do think there is something to be said. On the other hand, absolutely, it the very high likelihood, Bill, is that the 2024 election, like the last one, is going to be a brutal nail biter. It's gonna come down to four or five states I think we have to continue to watch those states, the Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona's, and watch whether or not spoiler candidates make the ballot in those states. Remember, No Labels has made the ballot in 12 states. Um, and see to the extent that the, the RFK Jr. or the Cornell West or other, other potential candidates are making the ballots in those states that actually matters. That's gonna have an enormous impact on the results of the race. But yes, for now, everyone should calm down and acknowledge that the most people are not paying attention. Well, then I have a question I have to ask you before we go. Does RFK Jr. hurt Trump more than Biden or Biden more than Trump? At the moment, I think he hurts Trump more than Biden, but Cornell West and any potential no labels candidate is works the other way. And before we go, just because Dan Torres never gets any credit, I'm going to say it right here live. I think Dan's even better than Monty at the music. I do. <laughs> even better. I don't know. Even the jury's better. still out on that one. That's not. That's not possible. I don't know. I can't. I can't even well, accept that. I can't outro. go to the jury on that one. <laughs> Your outros. Your outros only. I'm yeah, just maybe. going outros. Yeah, I don't do intros, so yeah, that might be the issue. Um, okay. Yeah. What I was gonna say, if I can quickly add. Um, uh, if we remember, Donald Trump won in 2016, and just before uh, his election, they announced that 2015 was the first time life expectancy declined in America in like four decades. I don't know if everybody remembers that story. It declined by 0.1%. And it all went back, they, uh, the experts say, to opiates. That was the contributing, right. the primary contributing factors. Are, are right. And opiates are directly related to loneliness and despair. 
And the reaction to that is following a cult leader or taking drugs or whatever else ails this country. But they all have a common thread. And I think I think it's indisputable. I think it's also indisputable that the rise of totalitarian regimes in places like Hungary and Turkey uh, is is enabled by the social media bubbles and the polarization wrought by social media. Notable that the European Union is the, once again the only major governing body in the world that's taking that issue on in a meaningful, substantive way in terms of policymaking. And we best follow their lead or our problem is only going to compound in the next few years. We've been speaking with Josh Silver, political consultant and expert, Northampton-based I think one of the most knowledgeable and logical and insightful persons on politics in our region, in our country. Josh Silver, thank you so very much. This has been Political Goal with Josh Silver. Coming up, Sex Matters with the show's resident sexologist, Dr. Jane Fleischman, right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. I'm sorry. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. After 43 years doing business in the Pioneer Valley, Acme Surplus is closing its doors. The owners announced their retirement in a Facebook post on Sunday. The store, now located in the basement of Thorns Marketplace in Northampton, has sold discounted goods and knickknacks since 1980, when Mark Rosenzweig first opened the store in the Hampshire Mall. Rosenzweig died in July. January 7th will be the store's last day open. 78 units of affordable housing being built in East Amherst by Wayfinders are behind schedule, and the two developments are now expected to open in 2028, two years after originally planned. Representatives from Wayfinders announced their intention to spend $27 million to develop the former East Street School into 31 apartments and an associated development on Belchertown Road with 47 apartments in March of 2022 to the Amherst Municipal Affordable Housing Trust. WWE superstar and Springfield College alum John Cena is one of six recipients of the 2024 NCAA Silver Anniversary Awards. The award has honored former student-athletes for their outstanding professional achievements over the last 25 years. Cena served as one of three captains on the 1998 Springfield football team his senior year. That team went and advanced to the Division III tournament. Cena will receive his award at the NCAA convention in Phoenix on January 10th. The fog shouldn't stick around for too much longer, but we are going to be seeing some warmer temperatures. Highs today in the low 50s to the mid 50s, and overnight temperatures aren't going to get that much colder, only going down into the low to mid 40s, but the rain is sure going to stick around all day, increasing as we go into the overnight, and tomorrow's temperatures are not going to cool down anymore, still staying in the low to mid 50s. I'm Jack Wood with the 22 News Storm Team on 101.5 WHMP. Don't go through another year with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now and make 2024 the year you're back to living a normal life again. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. These are all natural treatments that can repair and restore that damaged tissue, giving you pain-free movement again. QC Kinetics has tens of thousands of satisfied patients around the country, people who had knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, who were able to get lasting relief with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. If 
you have pain from an old injury or pain associated with arthritis, you need to check this out. The future of medicine is here. Regenerative treatments from QC Kinetics. Make the call now so you can get the most out of 2024. Get back to doing what you love. And don't forget, you can use your HSA and FSA funds. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Just call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. Celebrating? Don't just pop any old pour. Come to Provisions. For unique champagnes from small organic farmers like JM Select and La Herte Frere. Female producers Marie Croton, Ployer Jacquemart, plus Spanish Cava, Italian Prosecco, and Fizzy Reds. Discover the sparkling wonders of France, Spain, and Italy at Provisions. Each beautifully crafted, intriguing, and delicious. Provisions. Busy, sparkly, fun. In the Mill District, North Amherst, at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton, and at the Longmeadow Shops. When you're going through a tough time and need to talk with a mental health care provider as soon as possible, walk into ServiceNet's clinic at 50 Pleasant Street in downtown Northampton any Wednesday between 10 and 2. We'll see you right away. Or call ServiceNet anytime to make an appointment. Talk therapy, medication management, and other specialized treatments. ServiceNet's team works together to provide the care you need all in one place. Walk in Wednesdays 10 to 2 or call anytime. We welcome back to the show Dr. Jane Fleischman, the show's resident sexologist, sex educator extraordinaire, Jane Fleischman. I have a question to start us with today, Jane. I'm so excited. You have a question. That's a sign of a good student. Go for it. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so this is a week a lot of people take some time off or have some time off. Certainly many people have off the uh, the holidays or at least a holiday, uh, Christmas or New Year's. And and I'm wondering whether this that that, uh, time off, that uh, downtime from ordinary responsibilities makes this a good time of year for sex. Oh, Bill, you know, it's always a good time of year for sex, but <laughs> this might be a particularly good question to lead in. I thought you were going to say a particularly discussion. good time of year for sex, but okay. So, Well, you know, if it's heterosexual um, procreative sex, we should look at the number of kids born in, you know, August and September. But if it's everybody else sex, who knows, right? <laughs> who, who knows? But but you're absolutely right. People do need downtime to kind of find their way to whatever their sexual wonderment is. And so the holidays could be a good time, although the holidays could also be a terrible time when you're stressed out with the relatives packing in all of the, you know, every corner of your house. So you got to find your space. So yeah, I think this is a good a good time of year for us to talk about what I want to talk about today, which is desire. And Bill, you know, the last few years, um, I've taken the last December show um, for Sex Matters to kind of do a wrap-up, but I don't want to do a wrap-up this year because we just got into some really good meaty issues last month talking about what, what the sex therapists call discrepant desire, which means one person has a little bit more interest and one person has a little bit less interest in a couple. 
And we talked about a couple that had been together and they just weren't really um, able to find the balance between the two of them. But today, I wanted to continue that discussion and say a little bit more about responsive desire. So remember the couple, Bill? How could I forget? Good. So Buzz, just so you know, they've been together about 10 years and things in the sexual world are not as good as they used to be. And they, you know, in the beginning of their relationship, they seemed to have the same level of interest in sex, but, you know, they were having sex like a few times a week and they felt great about it. But after the last few years, one of them was not as interested in sex as the other. And it turned into a lot of really difficult issues. So, Buzz, that's just to kind of give you a little recap and yeah, also this, this for our listeners. This sounds to me like a somewhat normal situation for couples who, you know, after the courting and sparking period, may not have the same burning desire as they did early on in their relationship. That sounds normal to me. Right. I don't even use the word normal, but it's regular. You're absolutely right. <laughs> normal is hard for me as a sex educator because there's so many people who are thinking, well, wait a minute, am I abnormal? But you're absolutely right, Buzzit. After that early, what we call limerence stage, if you're in a couple... What's that word? With What's that word? Limerence, L-I-M-E-R-A-N-C, limerence. Write that down, Bill. That's I am writing it down. Yeah. Okay, go. Um, and so if you're in a couple, dealing with desire means both partners, after a while, as Buzz said, have to kind of think about it, think about their sexual relationship. It's not just an individual problem. You know, no one person is at fault. It's not the no person's fault, and it's not the yes person's fault. And sometimes the roles switch. So it requ requires navigation and navigation means you've got to navigate the desire preferences for each partner so what happens when that spontaneous desire isn't working anymore so when you just can't wait to just fling your clothes off and and jump into the nearest horizontal position or wherever you are so remember masters and johnson yep yes Great. So they kind of invented the field of sex therapy and their model of the human sexual response from 1966 is the one most commonly referred to. You know, you start with physical excitement and arousal, things like genital swelling, lubrication, erection, and it was all in the body. And then you move from there to a little bit more arousal, to a plateau, to excitement, to orgasm, to kind of the other side. So, and then you start the cycle again. Well, in 79, Dr. Helen Singer Kaplan added a new dimension, and she found that her clients needed some mental interest, some in their head interest or desire before bodily arousal. And today her model is the one that many people think about when they talk about responsive desire. But here's another really interesting thing. In the year 2000, Dr. Rosemary Bassan, a physician with a focus on sexual medicine, gave us a new look at understanding sexual response. She took Masters and Johnson and then Helen Singer Kaplan one step further. And she found that for many people, sexual desire is the outcome of physiological arousal. So wait a minute, what does that mean? What she meant was that interest in sex doesn't just come out of nowhere and then lead to physical arousal. It means that you've got to be thoughtful about it ahead of time. And so the problem, the problem is 
that if you're in your teens or 20s or 30s, you know, you don't have to worry about this business of responsing, responsive or, or responding. And my, my work is on older couples and long-term couples and older adults. And when I talk to folks in their 60s and 70s and 80s, now notice this, Bill, I'm looking at you. Chances are they've dealt with differences in desire here's looking, as they've navigated. This is the here's looking at you, babe, part of this. <laughs> <laughs> too, bad they, too bad the listeners at home can't see our faces. But, but they've, they've dealt with differences in desire as they've navigated their own lives and stresses and any kinds of changes but stop, in their stop, own lives stop, and relationships. Stop, stop here for a second, Jane, because the here yeah. looking at you, kid, is you know uh, a famous line, of course, but uh, in one of the classic movie scenes. But I think that it gets to this question uh, that you're, you're, you're focusing on, which is uh, when mental processes uh, and emotional processes uh, play a part and a more important part in sexual desire, uh, either right. than physical, than physical. Right. And, right, right. You're so right. And, you know, like, what if you've got some health issues or financial issues or work issues or family issues? You know, you get the picture. So whatever age you're at today, listeners, think about this for your own future. And I want to teach you a little bit about what the Kinsey folks thought about in the 60s. Emily Nagoski popularized this book about 15 years ago in her book, Come As You Are. And some colleagues of mine just published a wonderful new book on called Desire. And so there's this other type of sexual desire. If spontaneous desire could wane or even disappear, what else is there? Well, this is what else is there. Responsive desire is desire in response to some type of sensation. So wait a minute. This means that desire happens after receiving some type of stimulation, not before, as we all thought, right? During the Masters and Johnson craze. But it's never like that in the movies. Speaking of movies, you know, in Casablanca, it's all spontaneous, right? They People in movies just jump into bed with each other immediately. But in real life, the order of arousal and desire are reversed. And along with Rosemary Besson's contributions, we now know that responsive desire is incredibly common. And it's not just any kind of stimulation. It's got to have these four foundations. One, consent, or it'll be painful or traumatic. Both people have to be in agreement on it, and it can't be forced. Two, pleasure. It has to be focused on pleasure, not obligation, not the you promised you'd do it with me this week kind of thing. And it's got to feel good on the body. You know, just like a foot massage can feel good, and it may or may not include penetration. Number three, focus. And this is what you were saying before, you guys. If our brains are too busy thinking about something else, a vacation period like this means that we can focus and we can stay present. And the fourth one, and this is important for all of us who are busy, unbelievably busy people, is time or timing. It can be a quick thought, an image, a fantasy, a piece of music, a smell that they associate with something attractive or a taste of something delicious and enticing, but it's gotta be timed with all the other parts of the foundations. And without these four foundations, you can't move forward toward responsive desire. 
Oh my God, Bill, it's been years since I did it, but I'm lighting a cigarette right now after that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Buzz. So just just be careful. Just be careful. You're in a small room. But what do you do if you're dealing with desire differences in your relationship? Right? Well, first of all, you got to begin with talking about yourself, not about them. No blame. Begin the sentence with I want or I need, not you should. State your own desires, not what you want the other person to do. And this is the second one's a hard one for me, Bill. Be succinct. Your partner already knows how you feel. Be succinct. Don't give them the encyclopedia dissertation. Between, before, before your partner goes to sleep listening to what you're droning on Good about. Good point, Bill. Good point. The third is listen respectfully and don't interrupt. Oops. Don't roll your eyes. You have two ears and one mouth. Oops. Use them proportionately. And remember, separate the love you have for this person from your disagreement over the frequency of your sexual involvement. And divorce, you know, if divorce is off the table, there must be a good reason why you're staying. So remind yourself what you love about your partner and avoid contempt. It takes at least 10 endearments to neutralize one nasty zinger. So don't, you know, go down into name calling, you know, avoid any kind of sarcasm and really try to be as kind as you can. Your desire difference isn't funny, but if you can find laughter about other things, about anything, about comedy, about jokes, anything, levity will reduce tensions. And finally, remember, your teammates. This is what a really brilliant sex therapist taught me a few years ago. If you're not going to separate, but you can't stand what's going on right now, you have no alternative but to work together. And with any luck, you'll be able to thrash out a workable compromise. And Honey Maletsky says, you know, you don't want to win something over on your lover because then they're the loser. You want to both win. So be teammates. So, yes. We are speaking with Dr. Jane Fleischman. We will be back. We're going to return to Limerence right after this. <laughs> More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at $80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Fitting in can really feel like it matters, especially when you're in high school. At the Hartsbrook High School in Hadley, fitting in doesn't mean conforming. It just means a sense of belonging. If you're into sports or into writing, if you're into arts or into math, if you're into nature or using technology as a tool, you can thrive at Hartsbrook High School. And you can thrive academically while being an integral part of a community intentionally focused on belonging. Hartsbrook students take their learning out of the classroom, into nature, into the community, 
learning through experience, experiments, research, and group projects. Hartsbrook prepares a person to look the world in the eye and take responsibility for themselves and the community. Is Hartsbrook right for your teenager? For parents and caregivers, there's a Discover Hartsbrook High School evening, February 6th. There are visiting days for students, January 23rd and February 6th. Register at hartsbrook.org. The Hartsbrook School, Waldorf Education, Early Childhood through High School, on a 55-acre campus on Bay Road in Hadley. Massachusetts Ice Hockey hits the ice at the Mullen Center for the first time in 2024 for a clash against regional rival UConn on Friday, January 5th at 7 p.m. Enjoy an evening of family-friendly fun and see some of the best hockey in the Northeast. Get tickets at umassathletics.com slash tickets. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at WeinzickNursery.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with our show's resident sexologist, Dr. Jane Fleischman. I interrupted you, so why don't you continue with that sentence you were on just a moment ago. I just, yeah, I just wanted to remind people that, you know, if you're in this kind of a situation, you are responsible for your own pleasure. No one else. You're the expert of your own body. And there's no one-size-fits-all approach. So use what works for you. Remember that consent is key. And, you know, if you're in a couple where intercourse was what you used to do and it's not working anymore, it doesn't have to be the goal for everyone. You can find some new pathways to pleasure. Well, tell us about that. And tell us what gets people in the mood. Is there science, yeah. science that talks to there this? Is some, yeah, there is some science. I mean, the neuroscience folks um, know that uh, the brain likes novelty and the brain likes stimulation. And so thinking about that, using your senses, Bill, using all five or maybe six of your senses, you know, thinking about, um, for instance, you know, look at the sharp glare of the lighting in the studio today. You know, that's not gonna be the most effective lighting to make our bodies look that good. So think about what you see visually. Or if you're used to just climbing into bed in the crumpled up, you know, ratty old t-shirt, that may not be the thing that turns on the partner as much as thinking about maybe ironing the ratty old t-shirt. I don't know. <laughs> um, also, you know, what tastes feel exciting. You know, I, I have a, a, a shellfish license and I go down to Truro a lot and I, um, you know, pick up oysters. Oysters apparently have like zillions of really exciting um, uh, aspects that some people think are really um, uh, useful for raising the responsive desire. So think about chocolates or some other kind of luscious food that, you know, doesn't remind you of the Brussels sprouts that your, you know, mom used to make you eat. Or actually Brussels sprouts are pretty good. Um, you know, think about aromas. Think about, you, you get what I'm saying, Bill? Thinking about what could make this a more pleasure-focused interaction. So quickly, doctor, so this is Buzz. When you talk about all those things you just mentioned are external things. When we're talking mm -hmm. about spontaneous desire, you distinguish spontaneous from responsive. Are we just talking about, I don't need an external stimulation, it's just from within for spontaneous versus I need external for responsive? 
Yeah, right. Um, great question. So spontaneous is literally just you see that person in front of you, you want to throw your clothes off and throw your body on top of them. They don't have to say a word. They don't have to have good lighting. They don't have to have iron their gym shorts. You know what I'm saying, Buzz? It just, whew, it happens. And, you know, what I often say to older adults is you may not be, you know, able to jump on the kitchen table anymore because your hips ache, but you could still go upstairs and have some fun. But it may not be as spontaneous because you may want to think about um, what you're doing first. And you might want to interact with those sensibilities earlier so that arousal can build. Bill, I have to go take a cold shower. <laughs> Okay, Dan, I think we can get someone to build a shower in the studio here for a buzz. I'm working on it right okay. now. Okay, we're going to have to talk to upper management, senior management, about senior management about that. Okay, oh, final word for the end of this year, Dr. Fleischman? Uh, just remember that pleasure can be available to all of us. Consent is key and focus on your own desires, not on blaming anyone else. Thanks so much. This has been Six Sex Matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist on Talk the Talk. Happy New Year, Jane. Emphasis Thank you. Thank happy... you all. Can't wait to see you next year. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. The Literacy Project offers free classes for adults to improve their skills and prepare for the GED or ISET exams. We offer classes in Northampton, Amherst, Ware, Greenfield, and Orange, plus we now offer a class in East Hampton. For more information, call 413-584-6755 or check us out at www.literacyproject.org. If you want to learn, the Literacy Project is a place for you. WHMP Northampton and WRSI. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And we are looking, uh, we are looking at, well, the new year. And we're looking at first night here in Northampton. Bill, it's always a great time. It is. And there are 12 hours jam-packed with uh, music and theater and fireworks and events. The fireworks, of course, at 6.15, I believe, 6 o'clock. That's right. 6.15, downtown Northampton. Uh, the, buy the button, get it now, save yourself some money, and then go have a fabulous time because there is 12 hours of programming that shows, I think, a, a thoughtfulness on behalf of the persons who create first night so that there is something for everyone in the family for 12 hours starting at noon. It's really something that Northampton can be enormously proud of and that you will have a fabulous time at. So go buy your button.
It's it's also you know we were, uh, Josh Silver has been talking about loneliness and the role that it plays in people feeling estranged and and uh, being uh, sort of attracted to political philosophies that involve cult like figures like a Donald Trump. Well, this is a a community event where you'll be surrounded by other people, everybody looking for the same thing, which is to celebrate the year behind us and looking forward to the year ahead of us and just enjoying the festivities on a first night for the price of a button, Bill Newman. The price of a button. For the price of less than what you would pay for one performance, you can go to a dozen. Really? And speaking of 2024, Dan Torres, we have been looking yes. at the political landscape, not just in this country, but globally. And uh, I am your global correspondent, yes. Here we are, global correspondent talking about 2024, Dan Torres. Well, here's the exciting thing about 2024. Read this in The Economist magazine. Four billion people will be going out to vote in the year 2024, wow. which is incredible stakes. I mean... The world, you want to talk about inflection points, in my opinion, in The Economist's opinion, 2024 is going to really matter. And uh, it's fascinating. I, I and when, yeah, go ahead. Before you go on, 4 billion people will be eligible to vote. To vote, yes. We hope that they go and vote. We all hope that they go out and vote. But 4 billion people are eligible to vote in democracies equivalent to about 4 billion people. Half of humanity will be eligible to vote, if we could say that, in the year just 2024 alone. Yes. Bill. When you use that number, four billion people eligible to vote. Yes. Uh, does that include the uh, fake democracies? I mean, Russia says we have elections. China says we have elections. Is, uh, is, is that included in that? Or are we talking? No, about- no, not China. China, no. China's not included. In China doesn't have elections. Uh, but Russia, well, I guess, would part, be included. Party, party elections. I mean, the large parts is India, Indonesia. I mean, I, here's the list. Okay, we we start off with January. It's going to be Taiwan, and the reason I bring that up right now is, first of all, it's going to happen January thirteenth, and uh, stakes are really high there and really complicated, but actually are really important for the United States. Even though it's an island off China, China's leader Xi Jinping told uh, Biden in a recent meeting where they were supposed to get together and become kind of better friends, improve relations, that China will reunify with Taiwan. And so he's kind of laid down the stakes. And the reason why America really cares is not only does Joe Biden said that he will defend Taiwan, but Taiwan is such a key component of the global supply chain when it comes to semiconductors, cell phone chips. I mean, this is high stakes game. And then the importance of Taiwan to every single computer that we use, every single cell phone, every computer, laptop, everything is really manufactured. Uh, there's, a, there's a part of that supply chain that crosses Taiwan. So its importance in the global economy is massive. So that election seems like the more pro-independence party is likely to win. That's what polls are saying right now, which will then cause China to ramp up their military exercises and operations off the coast of Taiwan, which they have been doing. So the tensions are likely to rise if the Taiwanese vote. Now, nobody knows what the election results will obviously be, but in a few weeks coming up, there might be some global tensions just off the coast of uh, China there in Taiwan in the elections. Yes, Bill. And is there a clear difference between candidates in Taiwan in terms of their position regarding regarding China? Yeah, so there's one candidate that I was saying that seems to be ahead who is 
once supported independence, but now has had to push that back. He's, they all had to moderate their positions given the current situation. There's one party that's more pro-China, um, and then there's an independent candidate um, uh, who's also running, who's trying to be something in between, like not necessarily pro, like pro-China, pro-talking to China, no, we won't declare independence. There's a guy in the middle trying to be like, okay, maybe we can find a third way around this instead of going, you know, autonomous, versus, you know, kind of pro-China. So there's there's three different factions now in Taiwanese politics, but it's going to have ramifications for the United States, national security, the military. Um, and I think Taiwan, if I had to guess, the people are now voting for a more strong-lined, hard-lined stance against China because they feel like China could move on them again. Again, China has moved against Hong Kong in recent years, um, where they, they made a promise when they took over to, uh, Hong Kong from the British that there was going to be a 50-year plan. Well, that, that plan has gotten snuffed out. A lot of, chi- a lot of Hong Kong independence, uh, independence, uh, pro-democracy activists have been arrested, uh, imprisoned. Some of them are facing national security laws. So there is now a crackdown, or has been, for many, many years in China against Hong Kong. And I think many Taiwanese see that, get that information, and are concerned for themselves that Taiwanese democracy could be snuffed out just as it was in Hong Kong. I also, Dan Torres, I don't want to spend too much time more uh, talking about Taiwan, but yeah. uh, U.S. military staging areas are in Taiwan, yeah. South Korea, and Japan. And Japan. For critical. Yes. Like intersection section, absolutely, yeah. and that also plays into. And then there's always North Korea in that neighborhood, and involves China, obviously as well, because China has a huge influence in North Korea. So I just think that that's a really important point. But I want to move on because there's a quite a few more important elections going on. Uh, the two largest Muslim countries, Indonesia and Pakistan, will also be voting. Combined, they have half a billion people in each country. Um, so that is amazing. I mean, you'll, you'll see tensions. Pakistan, I think will matter to the United States is because they're nuclear powered and then then they're uh, there next to India and who knows what tensions may arise there, um, in the future. And of course, you know, China's involved there in Russia. So Pakistan is sort of in a strategic place. There's, there's really tensions between the military and, and a populist leader there. So yeah, I think those two are not to mention the role of the Taliban in Pakistan. Taliban and then yeah. the war, yeah, the war on terror, all of that. So it'd be major uh, two elections, and that's in February. So that's just like right after January. Uh, March, there will be elections in Russia. I know you guys are uncertain about what the outcome will be. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking I know what the election outcomes will be on that yeah, one. Yeah, I guess Putin is really looking at those polls, polls wondering numbers. if he's going to squeak by them. He, he does. Yes, exactly. I, I totally agree. Yeah, so given I that, Given that, that he's just sent the one opposition candidate who could... To add, Siberia. To Siberia, yeah. Yes, Alexei Navalny, which, by the way, the movie about his uh, activist role was really well done. I've watched it a couple times. Um, so yeah, so Russia will also have uh, elections. Um, but also moving on to that, I, I think there are uh, other elections that are going to be really important. There's one in Portugal in March. And the reason there I bring that up to you guys is, well, maybe we haven't discussed this a lot on this show, but Europe right now seems to be headed towards more right-wing conservative policies on immigration, on national identity, on a lot of issues. I mean, we saw it sort of with Brexit, and we thought maybe it would just be the UK, but it seems like it's beginning to take off in a lot of countries. Um, There will be elections in the uh, European Parliament in June, Um, but you see how there's been a shift 
slowly to, against, uh, you know, against, I guess, the number of, uh, you know, migrants who are fleeing uh, North Africa, the Middle East, the wars. A lot of people have come into Europe in the last, let's say, seven years. And, and initially, there were some countries, like Portugal, that didn't have a right-wing movement at all. Now, it, this is going to be their test. We've seen it in the Dutch elections, where they moved a lot of candidates, a lot of people voted for the candidate who says, we need to just clamp down on all immigration, but of course, it's primarily targeted towards Muslims. But I mean, it's they are really cracking down, and they want to be part of the future government. So you're beginning to see, and one of the most liberal governments, and one of them, yeah, Finland, on many issues, yeah, yeah it, it's moved. And to, so uh, are the Dutch on a lot of issues. It seems like you know the, the immigration question in Europe is going to be massive for America's, you know, probably most important strategic ally. Poland, however, yeah. has moved to the left. Recently. Yeah, yeah, but all, yeah, they have. In an election, and, and they, in an election, in October, they yeah. kind of kicked out the more populist conservative movement. Hungary is still in the middle of Europe, so there's this sort of global tension there. What's really uh, interesting, uh, yeah. Dan Torres, is, is here in the United States, we talk about, well, we have these far right, you know, uh, MAGA kind of people, and then we have the Republican Party, right? Yeah. That used to be the Republican Party. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, that, that notion of a coalition. Yeah, far right, centrist right, right. Um, that's what makes it the difference because governance happens as a result of those coalitions. Coalitions, yeah. I mean, but the the bigger issue there, and if I could go back to the Dutch, is that the far right made huge gains. So if any future government is going to be cobbled together in alliances, the far right's going to be like, hey. Our positions uh, got approval from the voters, so you're going to have to implement some of this. So, yeah, maybe you won't agree with everything we proposed, but a lot of it should go down because the people support it. And so that's that's an interesting sort of thing. Oh, by the way, I also wanted to mention India coming up also. In, uh, it starts in April and it ends in May because there's a lot of votes to be counted. In case, when I said there were 4 billion people, uh, you know, eligible or potentially eligible to vote, India would be like 25% of that, so, or more than that. Um, so India, uh, Modi, and the BJP, which is the, the Hindu Nationalist Party, they're, they're going to win. There's no, all of my friends, I know quite a few people who live out in Boston, uh, they're all pretty much, it's, it's almost a guarantee certainty. It's just how big of a win. I guess, you know, the media can spin it that, you know, uh, maybe the the win margin wasn't uh, as large as expected, but most likely they're going to win, and Modi is going to win again. And uh, you're beginning to see this sort of shift. There's there's almost no democratic opposition to the the Hindu party in in India. So well, we hear yes. a lot about how Donald Trump is emulating uh, Orban in Hungary. Yes. Um, but Modi comes to the United States and is embraced with the biggest hug possible from the Biden administration. And he has been quite authoritarian with regard to how he is treating religious minorities in, in India. Specifically Muslim. Yes, I would say the, uh, the and, and American. Not, the American huge, yeah, yeah, I mean, and these not are just, a huge part of the population. Yeah. I'd say the American interest in India is really comes down to what we were just talking about moments ago with uh, uh, China and Taiwan. Uh, the American strategic move in Asia is to ally itself with India. India votes. It's a dem it's a dem despite all the it's issues that are democracy. happening. Still voters, still a democracy, and and um, they look at it. I think through the lens of what can contain China. Uh, China and India have uh, border disputes, and so there's uh, a lot of tension um, that happens between India and China. And I think the U.S. wants to play India. 
against China as best it can. So you see the Joe Biden administration really embrace uh, Modi as, as best he could. And sure, privately, I'm sure he brings up some of those criticisms, but he isn't going to bring that up uh, publicly. And again, it is the voters in India who are you know going out there and really rewarding uh, the BJP, um, which is the ruling party, and how much control they'll have over that country. Um, we'll see. I mean, yeah. Listen, uh, when we come back, I want to ask you, Dwayne Tantoris, to what do you attribute this move to the right and to centrist right uh, globally? Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 Store, full-value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 Store, open right now at whmp.com. True love is unconditional. It looks like showing up, giving someone a fresh start, a compassionate ear, or even just a smile between strangers. At the Salvation Army, love gives beyond situation and season. While lights are sparkling and temperatures are dropping, you can be the difference for a family in need right in your local community. Your donation puts presents under the tree today and food on the table all year long. Warm hearts and homes beyond the Christmas season by dialing pound 250 on your phone and saying the keyword, the Salvation Army, at the prompt. Again, that's pound 250 and your keywords are the Salvation Army. You'll have the opportunity to receive a one-time auto-dialed text message from iHeartMedia that links to a donation form. Help a neighbor in need throughout the holidays and beyond with the Salvation Army. Just dial pound 250 on your mobile phone and say the keyword Salvation Army. It's easy to give. Dial pound 250 and use those keywords, the Salvation Army. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back, and we're talking with Dan Torres, who has been, like, uh, carefully observing what's been happening globally in 2023 and what he's projecting to happen in 2024. And overall, he's talking about a move to the right and the center right globally in so many different countries. And and to what do you attribute this, Dan Torres? Ooh, I mean, that's the big question, you know, uh, what's happening globally. Um, well, there's at least one factor I think that's happening is that um, the world feels unstable. And this happens uh, throughout human history when there feels a sense of instability, right? Wars are now uh, in the Middle East. Um, in other countries, there's been a civil war in Syria. Those, you know, millions of Syrians have had to flee the country. And, um, and other countries, you know, you look at climate change, people are leaving their countries and looking for a better life. You see it on our border in the United States from Central America. I mean, most people in America think it's like Mexicans running through. It's like, yes, there are Mexicans who do leave 
Mexico, but really it's, you got to look at Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, you know, people are fleeing there. Oftentimes, though, they are fleeing because they want a better life, no doubt about it. Other times, they are being persecuted by their governments, um, either by, you know, threats against their life or, or whatnot. So um, that that is, I think, a part of it. There's a sense uh, of when people feel instability and afraid and fear for their family's well-being, I just, I think there's a part of the human instinct to vote conservative. They vote for the party that will provide stability. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I, I think that's part, that's at least part of the answer of instability in the economy, right? We have a lot going on. There's instability with uh, just the borders, people feeling like, you know, people are, are going from left and right. People are fleeing destruction. And does people now want sense of order and stability? And that's the scary part for me because the last time I can remember this happening was in the period, you know, after World War One and World, you know, after World War One, when a lot of new states were being formed and there was a lot of changes going on. Um, we had a worldwide depression. We were and... a worldwide depression, right? And there was a sense of lack of order and stability. And I fear that a, a large part of this movement is that. Um, well, uh, Bill yes. was asking. Go you, ahead. Bill was uh, looking the at 4 me. Four billion people who are going to be eligible to vote. <coughs> what do you think is going to happen in in these elections? Are you actually predicting uh, a move to the right? Uh, yeah, I, I think conservatives. Uh, by the way, there's a couple other countries I wanted to mention before I answered that. There's a couple other countries I want to mention. Uh, South Africa is interesting to me, and the reason is is because there has been one political party. Uh, in in South Africa that has dominated since 1994. I was 10. The ANC. Okay, the ANC. They are called the African National Congress, Nelson Mandela's party. However, two years ago, the ANC could not even win a majority of votes. Right, because the elections. corruption because the corruption, corruption has been out of this world. But, and, and But it's gotten, it's gotten even worse. If I can add something that at least I've been reading a lot more about in the last three years, they're having more and more regular blackouts for life. And I know I had quickly mentioned this yes, on yesterday's episode, but there's a sense that the African National Congress is not able to solve our problems. And so there are new parties being formed now, um, some that are having coalitions between, you know, uh, white and uh, uh, black and, uh, in, you know, people who are mixed. Um, right. So, so you're beginning to see a democracy beginning to challenge this sort of hegemonic uh, political party, the ANC in South Africa. And what's fascinating is that like, might be actually a good thing for democracy. When you have one party ruling since uh, for the last 30 years, it's time that maybe new people rise to power with new ideas and try to actually create new coalitions. Go ahead. But Nigeria is the most populous. Oh, yeah. South Africa, 60 million. Air quotes. Yeah. Um, in Africa, and yeah. it just, uh, once again, the Progressive Party retained power in Nigeria in, yeah. in October's elections. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I think there, I think in countries like the United States, uh, uh, Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, they are, they're feeling like the world is unstable, maybe because of some of their own policies, but the world still feels unstable to a lot of citizens, and I think instability is causing them to vote to the right. Also, I do think and um, that social media has a role to contribute to this. It, look, this is a new form of communication. 
um, in many ways like television and the telephone. I would argue they're different than those, but every time those new technologies come in, um, it upends the old order, old stability. And so I think a lot of voters, they're not like us. They don't really follow the news, not even as closely as we do, and maybe we don't even follow it that closely. But some people, they just get you know uh, messages from family members, articles sent to them, not a lot of analysis, not a lot of historical uh, uh, you know, look at, at history or analysis. They, they don't look at that. They send out memes. They send out things that are quick because there seems to like there's so much information. You can, in some ways, confuse voters or whatever, um, or just or just throw people, just throw things at the system, and we'll see what happens. And I want to mention that because I think that's that's going to challenge democracy. I mean, if I can mention, I mentioned Russia, right? Um, you know, we talk about foreign intervention. I don't think guys, honestly, sitting here, I don't think there's any way to stop it without infringing on free speech. I mean, we have a means of communications that transcend borders. So thus a, gov a concerted effort by any government, foe or ally, will obviously influence voters in a, in a country's democracy. And so, you know, it's not surprising that, you know, Putin intervened in, in 2016 as the U.S. intelligence agencies, all 17 of them said they did. Um, of course he's going to do it again. Why not? What's the cost to him? I'm sorry. But uh, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. Russia <laughs> is going to do it again. Russia is going to work very hard to try to elect Donald Trump. That's what's going to happen. And again, I've mentioned... And what, uh, in what ways can the U.S. government stop that unless you begin to regulate speech? Well, There's you, no way to do it. Yeah, but you can regulate foreign governments uh, who are uh, not identifying themselves and are lying about who is the... I mean, once you're moving money... And this is a matter of moving money into the United States. Right. Uh, Russia but, is going to try to influence the election. Again, it's very much in their interest, and they can get away with it. I, I want to mention again something. Yeah. Uh, was, I've been reading Rachel Maddow's a new book, Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. And it is a really moving and frightening history. And one thing that she talks about is how extensive German and Nazi interference was in American elections and politics in the 30s and 40s. Germany, Hitler, was really significant in those elections. He didn't succeed. But if you could do that in 1940, if a fascist could do that in 1940, 1936, why, without anything resembling an internet, just imagine, imagine what, what Putin is going to do this year in America's elections. Yeah, and of course the ramifications there are for Ukraine, right? I mean, the, the attacks that, exactly. that Russia is con continuing. Well, if I and can look how big and look how big look how successful Putin has been in getting these Republicans to say, well, we don't really think that. Uh, Supporting Ukraine is important. Uh, let Putin have a... What's one country? Right. And even if you agreed with some people who think that we shouldn't be backing Ukraine, we should try to back peace and all that, the, the issue here is if Russia is successful and it can sell a victory in its attack on Ukraine... Um, the ramifications for that for other countries that border Russia are going to be intense. Poland is not going to feel safe, right? And you were we were talking about why is this happening? Well, again, voters in Poland and other countries are going to start voting in more radical nationalist 
politicians to provide security and safety. And they're going to be like, look, look what Russia just did. Will they stop? Maybe they'll go to Moldova. Maybe they'll start hitting Poland. What about Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia? I mean, I know that these, maybe a lot of people listening don't know about these countries, but it will impact you. What happens around the world, especially among your you know, closest allies and friends, will impact you some way, somewhere. Well, Especially this, when you, this is a conversation we're going yeah. to continue to happen on you know, WHMP's Talk to Talk. Uh, um, by the way, the last grand election there, our election in November at the end of that year. And, and so, the Iowa caucuses are only hey, a few on, weeks away. On a good spot, I will end it here. The Great Britain will also have an election by the end of 2024. By January 2025, they must have an election. And most likely, the conservatives will be booted out of power. And Labor Party in Great Britain will win. So, And Great Britain will be great again. When we come back, we're going to be looking at 2023, we're going to be looking at 2024, and who better to help us look at that than Bill Dwight. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. After 43 years doing business in the Pioneer Valley, Acme Surplus is closing its doors. The owners announced their retirement in a Facebook post on Sunday. The store, now located in the basement of Thorns Marketplace in Northampton, has sold discounted goods and knickknacks since 1980, when Mark Rosenzweig first opened the store in the Hampshire Mall. Rosenzweig died in July. January 7th will be the store's last day open. 78 units of affordable housing being built in East Amherst by Wayfinders are behind schedule, and the two developments are now expected to open in 2028, two years after originally planned. Representatives from Wayfinders announced their intention to spend $27 million to develop the former East Street School into 31 apartments and an associated development on Belchertown Road with 47 apartments in March of 2022 to the Amherst Municipal Affordable Housing Trust. WWE superstar and Springfield College alum John Cena is one of six recipients of the 2024 NCAA Silver Anniversary Awards. The award has honored former student-athletes for their outstanding professional achievements over the last 25 years. Cena served as one of three captains on the 1998 Springfield football team his senior year. That team went and advanced to the Division III tournament. Cena will receive his award at the NCAA convention in Phoenix on January 10th. The fog shouldn't stick around for too much longer, but we are going to be seeing some warmer temperatures. Highs today in the low 50s to the mid 50s, and overnight temperatures aren't going to get that much colder, only going down into the low to mid 40s, but the rain is sure going to stick around all day, increasing as we go into the overnight, and tomorrow's temperatures are not going to cool down anymore, still staying in the low to mid 50s. I'm Jack Wood with the 22 News Storm Team on 101.5 WHMP. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP.
What's Cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op kitchen is always cooking. Get ready-to-go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Order sandwich platters or anything platters for lunchtime, party time, or any time. You like to bake? The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground-up flour and grains, stone-milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Bread and brownies, cakes and cookies. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo, Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank, with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Hi, this is Scott Trout of Cordell & Cordell. If you're a dad who is facing divorce, there are extra layers of stress that may include stereotypes and assumptions. No two situations are the same. Our legal experience and dedication prepare us for whatever legal challenges we face together. You need a partner you can count on. For more than 30 years, Cordell & Cordell has represented men in divorce. Schedule an appointment with one of Cordell & Cordell's Boston area attorneys, 10 Cabot Road, Suite 210, Medford, Massachusetts, 02155. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And, you know, we are in the season when it's good to just reflect on the year that we are just wrapping up. And it's even better to look ahead and decide what the, the next year should bring, what it may bring, what we want to make sure that it doesn't bring. And who better to do that than a long time uh, political uh, participant over 30 years in Northampton politics, including uh, some very noteworthy years as the president of the Northampton City Council, Bill Dwight, who has been uh, spending the last few decades projecting, looking at where we are, where we're coming from, and where we're going. So, Bill, <laughs> 2023 wrote locally. We were just talking about Globally, but let's talk about locally. 2023, what was notable to you? Well, I mean, locally, of course. I mean, you guys have covered the the global angst and and have also sort of provided me much to fret about. Thanks. Just the same. <laughs> That's our Christmas present. Yeah, I get very kind. <laughs> and, um, and then locally, you know, of course, I really always want to put these in perspective. This used to be, I used to say to people who would complain about a pothole, I said, you're not living in Aleppo, so be glad. This is, I mean, our level of despair, we freak out because we can't find a parking space. That's a privilege. So-called first-year problem. First, well, it's uh, a first-world problem. problem. It's even beyond that. But it is it is a demonstration of privilege and it, to, to be upset about not finding a parking space is, is a gift in some respects. Um, and, you know, in, to that extent, Northampton's place in the rest of the world of concern and drama is if you look at it from that perspective, you understand, okay, it's not so bad. I and mean, we've had, this is the year of uh, what, Ozempic and God, and we, and in Northampton, we've, uh, one of the Big talking points, of course, was the Northampton downtown redesign, pr principally on Main Street, and it's as much as you would expect. You're you're changing for a lot of people the, their perception of what their town looks like and what their town is, 
And my perspective on that was, you know, I worked at Pleasant Street Video for for your younger listeners. A video store was where you actually went and rented a movie, and you would bring it home, and then you get charged a late fee for not rewinding it or or not returning it. Well, time. for the really young listeners, a, a video is something that comes in a cassette. Right. It's not on YouTube. There's no such thing. But the, um, I, you know, people would come. So the video store for 25 years were around for a generation. That was it. One generation. It was pretty brief. When we were going to close, um, people were despairing and they blamed all sorts of pressures, uh, global and local and so on and so forth. What it was was things were changing. It's it's the same thing as when the dinosaurs saw an asteroid streak, streak across the sky and they thought, hmm, that's pretty. They didn't understand that, yeah, it also foretells your demise. And, and a global shift. That's what happens in... So in Northampton, people were... For some people, they were very upset that the video store and the Pleasant Street Theater were closing. But what happened was that no one was going to it. They weren't going there anymore. Just love the idea of these places existing. It spoke to, uh, to them about what their community is. We're an arts center. We're a community engaged in uh, deep thought and... and kind gestures and the fact is is that you have to be a little more emblematic and that's reason I'm bringing that back to Main Street the changes that are being brought about for Main Street are not going to be foretelling our demise no it's not going to be no that's true I, that's 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 a horrible transition wasn't it no uh, <laughs> no it's it's actually foretelling a change in the people's reaction to change in their perception of their community and their ownership. Could you stay with the closing of Pleasant Street Video sure, for one, sure. one second? Sure. At the time of the closing, and for those of you who don't remember and or were not here to participate in this, uh, I don't even quite know how to describe what would happen, but there would be this collection of people who would show up just to talk to Bill Dwight, uh, really. It would go on for, for many hours. Uh, you could come and you can go, and it would happen on often on Friday nights, um, Thursday nights, people getting their videos for the weekend, and people would come and talk movies and politics, whatever. It was like the coffee shop without coffee. It was fabulous. Well, I actually, actually compared it with the Bart without liquor. You didn't have yes. to shut anyone off. Right. So, yeah. I, I, I would like to ask you this. There was a uh, movement to raise money to save the videos themselves and to send them, I believe, to Forbes. Did yeah. that did that happen? Yeah. And were they converted to some form where people can? No, have... no, they're still DVDs. That's they're what I mean. Still, yeah, the, the actual DVDs went to Forbes Library, and and it actually was it was a policy that evolved organically. And it was um, we thought, how do we get out? There were of like this? five thousand titles or something. Oh, even more than that. Yeah, ultimately, but the um, I don't know how much. I mean, you know, they aren't, they don't last forever. So I don't know how, how many still survive at Forbes, but yeah. And they were not converted to uh, some other format? No, 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 they were just left in those kind of antique, shiny drink coasters. <laughs> and <laughs> so while Bill Newman is reenacting this sort of bar like function that Bill Dwight serves when somebody wants to chat with him, I want to go back to Main Street redesign sure. and the fears of change that you're talking about. Well, fears of change, I mean, it's everything, actually, you guys were talking about it before. Um, uh, Dan was referring to that, and it, it, it invokes certain reactions in people. And it's also a question of agency. Who has agency here? And, you know, I think you saw 
we've been having this conversation for at least 30 years, probably longer, about what Main Street could be and what we should do with Main Street. Um, a lot of people who come later to the conversation think that it's just being rammed down our throats, and I'm doing air quotes here on the radio, which is silly, but uh, the, 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 but you have these public conversations, and in this case, you're talking about a public conversation about what we want our community, our, the community that we project all great things on, but also have deep and abiding suspicions of all people participating that aren't us um, in their motives. And the fact is, is that these changes were driven by safety concerns and the money that the state was willing to apply to that because the, uh, it was determined that the accident rate, particularly for pedestrians and bicyclists and others, is inordinately high. Dan, you wanted to say something. Okay, well, I, it, what you just said about uh, accidents right. on, on roads, it's just reading the Daily Hampshire Gazette a couple of days ago, and there were two accidents near Smith College yeah. that they were talking on about yeah. uh, on West Street. And uh, what it says to me is that Northampton does need to make this in uh, change. But obviously, change is difficult, I think, especially in towns. You know, somebody recently, I think it was yesterday's episode, uh, Austin Sarah said, you know, we're so progressive in this area, but we want nothing to change. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's that contradiction there. But I will add, and I do want to get your, your thought on this, is local businesses feel they've they just survived the pandemic. The ones that are open are, are just struggling to, to stay afloat. What do you think will happen uh, during this period where redesign will have to happen in downtown? How will that impact them? Well, I'm, okay, I'm going to be more of uh, less uh, Mary Sunshine on this one. And this is, I'm going to go back to what I was alluding to with the dinosaurs staring at its asteroid flying by. The Many of the bricks and mortar retail stores that sell things and items were already in peril. Uh, first of all, the pressures in Northampton was that uh, commercial real estate rental property prices here are disproportionately high compared to other areas. And that's because that's what the landlords could get. And that's actually another story that we can talk about is one of the particular landlords that we, we know has been circumstances have changed for him. But the, um, there was that, and then more importantly, online retail. And then online retail actually became de rigueur when um, the pandemic hit. So that actually just accumulated and made the, the pressures even harder, particularly for bricks and mortar dry goods stores. The places that do okay are things you can't get apps for, uh, tattoo parlor, piercing parlor, hair salon, bars, restaurants, entertainment. Those are things that you, actually require you to show up. You have to be there, so those places, and require parking. But So those pressures that the businesses are experiencing is not, has nothing to do with the Main Street redesign. Whether it exists or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Both but stop there a second, can. Bill, because it is true. These are economic pressures that are nationwide uh, and it were present before the pandemic and present after the pandemic. That said, what the businesses are concerned about is that the interruption in their business, the, the yeah. possible interruptions, the projected interruptions in their business would be the straw that breaks the camel's back and puts them out of business. And if you have that fear, you can understand why you say, wait a second, oh, what are we doing? No, no, no. And in fact, I understand the fears and the trepidation. As I said, you know, I, I, was, uh, I lived and died by a business that I knew was in peril and was doomed. Downtown. Right. Yeah, in downtown. Um, I knew that. It is a horrible feeling. I didn't own the business. And that's even, that 
even makes it exponentially more stress-inducing. But I mean, I mean, this is the cynical me saying some of that is absolutely unavoidable. And let me point out that downtown Northampton, I defy anyone to um, name 10 businesses that were there 20 years ago. They have the change and the shift in the uh, businesses. We actually, speaking of cynical, we at the video store used to collect menus of restaurants that closed over the, over the interim. Bobby McGovern over it at uh, Packard's. Packard's collects signs of businesses that closed and folded, including Pleasant Street Video. It happens. It it's that type of change that actually is beyond our control. To that extent, the city is committed to and I think is obliged to um, reduce whatever pressures that they are capable of reducing. But beyond that, can promise nothing. And in my that wife, Bill Dwight, had That's right. You're absolutely. And, and I certainly know place. what you're talking about. But I just want to zoom out by about 10,000 feet um, for this conversation because uh, for me, 2023, it's hard to sort of break away from what happened on the national and global level. 2023 begins with January when we had a, a Speaker of the House candidate who it, this dysfunction in the Republican caucus, they could not elect a speaker. And throughout 2023, Congress, the House of Representatives, our House, the People's House, couldn't get one thing done because people couldn't talk. Zoom back locally to what we're talking about right here, and there are voices by people who disagree with the, the, the redesign and who have fears, rational or not, uh, about it, uh, about the future and change uh, and business people who feel that they could speak. Uh, the Pollyanna in me wants to just celebrate the fact that it's first world, yes, but we can actually talk about things we disagree in, un unlike what's happening in the national No, world. no, and I, I, that's actually perfectly summed up, and it's always why I, and it's why I continue to hold um, a place of kindness and gentleness for the community I I chose to stay in and I do cherish. It's true. I mean, you know, I always said that Northampton's blessed with 29,000 geniuses, each person more smarter than the next and putting me at the bottom there. But the fact is, is that... Well, I have to say more smarter. You belong at the bottom. I'm not, no, you know, <laughs> no. The, 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 the fact is, is that people are truly invested in the community. That's, that's where you're going to get your points of conflict, obviously. Everyone has a projected image of what their ideal community is, and it often comes in conflict with other people's. But we have that level of engagement on that level. There's a lot of... You know, we were talking about, you know, the old adage, uh, uh, think globally, act locally. Well, to Dan's point, we do tend to think in a very progressive fashion when we're thinking global. When we get local, <clears throat> you get pretty conservative. And then, unfortunately, the frustrating thing for me over the course of my time serving in Northampton is we also have the lexicon, the, the language of progressive politics, but at the same time, that's being used and employed to actually engage in regressive politics and regressive and conservative politics. It's harder to argue with. I mean, when I, I, if I wanted to deal with, when I had to deal with issues that actually involve bigotry, yet at the same time people talking kumbaya to me, I would much prefer to have my races overt and upfront. Um, yeah, drive up with a Confederate flag and smoke me if you want. But I, that way I can just say to you, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, we're not going to meet here. 
in Northampton, it's a little more, it's a heavier lift. It's a more complicated conversation to have. And, and it happens a lot. But the motivations, by and large, tend to be community-based and the, on the cherished principles of what it means to be in a community. And that's, it, it happens here. I mean, you, you experience that up in the hills. You experience, we, we've experienced it here. It's the ongoing frustration of living with other people, I suppose. And it's, it's, it's so far we're doing okay. Yeah, I think that the national presence in Northampton is sometimes actually understated. When you look at what happened at the city council meeting that was Zoom bombed by right. Uh, uh, with right. racist, ho racist yeah. horrible things yeah. that were said. And I want to come back and talk about that with you, sure. whether or not the council should or should not do something about that at this time. I'd also like to know your perspective, Bill Dwight, on whether or not Northampton's going to need another two-and-a-half override. Okay. We'll speak about that. Sure thing. Right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Hi, this is Jane Wolfe, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hi, this is Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holiday season. Hi, this is Julie and Ashley, wishing everyone a cheerful, stress-free holiday season and a delightful new year. Hi, I'm Brendan O'Connor. I'm Ethan McCandless. And I am Luke Parsons. From the Credit Department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank, happy holidays. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Erica from the Florence branch of Northampton Cooperative Bank. We, we would, would like, like to extend our best wishes to our customers, families, and friends for a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Cheers. When you're going through a tough time and need to talk with a mental health care provider as soon as possible, Walk into ServiceNet's clinic at 50 Pleasant Street in downtown Northampton any Wednesday between 10 and 2. We'll see you right away. Or call ServiceNet anytime to make an appointment. Talk therapy, medication management, and other specialized treatments. ServiceNet's team works together to provide the care you need all in one place. Walk in Wednesdays 10 to 2 or call anytime. With so many mesothelioma lawyers, how do you choose the right firm for you and your family? I'm John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan, and here's my advice to you. Do your research. Results matter. Reputation matters. Last year alone, our team recovered over a billion dollars for our clients. If you've been diagnosed with mesothelioma, call us now as the time to file a claim may be limited. Call 800-602-2200. That's 800-602-2200. Call now. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Bill Dwight, who over the course of 30 years served two extended terms on the city council, one as its president, and no one better to talk to us about the prospects of Northampton and the region looking forward to 2024 than Bill Dwight. I like your perspective, Bill, on information and reports in the Daily Hampshire Gazette recently about the deficit that the Northampton schools face, something that school systems across the region are facing as well. 
How bad is this situation in Northampton? And if you care to comment in other towns and cities locally as well? Well, it's, you know, it, when we speak about other towns and communities, the the majority of most budgets, municipal budgets, are devoted to schools. Um, in Northampton's case, it's at least 60, probably close to 65% of our, our municipal budget. If you consider pensions and everything else that's associated with that, plus upkeep and maintenance, but the principal costs in every case on all municipal budgets is for people. It's to pay for people. And um, Northampton's deficit comes um, more or less as a result of the recent negotiations. This is a projected deficit for the next fiscal year. Right. The one that the paper reported was, <laughs> it's actually double. It's, it's closer to $4 million what, that we're going to be staring at because what happens is when Let's you- Stop there for a second. $4 million shortfall in what the budget, if it was maintained- with the number of people and services and so right. on this year, the $4 million would be the deficit for next year. Yeah, and the reason is is because part of the problem is when you negotiate contracts, of course, um, that's a, not a one-time expense. That's a commitment for a perpetual expense, right? It's, it's you will be paying for it. So when you pay for it with one-time monies like reserve money or marijuana money or any of those things, that's not sustainable. You can't, you've made a legal obligation to pay these contracts to these people and as you should. And th and that's ongoing. You need to have a continual flow of revenue in order to do that. The, um, so there we are. We do have, you know, we were able to, the mayor was able to offset that to some degree by dipping into the reserves. The reserves were originally established to avert another override. That was the commitment from David Narkowitz when, when he asked the community who voted in, I mean, I think close to 70% in favor of that override. You asked me before going off air was, do I think there's going to be another override? I think, Yes, I don't think it's coming up in this election at all. I don't. I don't know when, but there was always the understanding. Let me actually back up and say the reason two two and a half was built. Proposition two and a half was built to require communities to continue to do overrides because it's it's called two and a half because it's two and a half percent, which is a half a percent below standard rate of inflation. Knowing that every time. Communities were going to come up short, and then they had to justify the reasons for their expense, their their added, their request for additional but, revenues. And what happened was that we would we really weren't we it, it was turned politically into a, a, a demonstration of failure. But does the override cover the deficit? No, not as a rule. And there are a variety of different overrides. You can get an override to build a thing. You can get an override that keeps it. Uh, permanent change in the Get down the to the bottom line for us, if you would, please, Bill sure. Dwight. $4 million deficit in the school budget. What happens? What is going to happen in your judgment? You don't have to vote on this now. Congratulations. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not politically liable for this. What I happens? I suspect it will be, it's what happens, it's what's happened to us in the past. There will be layoffs in all likelihood to try and compensate. And what happens is those are usually positions of people who like write grants or who uh, staff libraries and things like that. So there will be consequences, and they're not going to be comfortable or, or pleasant. And as you point out, it's also not going to be just— And the school no committee decides the budget, but then the city council has to approve has it to or approve not. It. Has to so approve the city, it. So it's not up to the school committee. It's ultimately up to the city council. Yes. Well, that's true. This, but remember, this, 
the city council can't add, they can only cut. And they that's true, the council can reject the budget that's presented by the school committee ultimately and, and the mayor. So uh, remains to be seen, it'll be an interesting budget season that's coming up for us, depending, you know. And I don't, I don't, I don't see a likelihood of any magical revenues suddenly appearing out of nowhere that it's not like there's federal monies or state and the state commitment to Northampton has always been a little weak and pale. So, um, there's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not projecting a lot of a bed of roses coming up. Well, bed of roses <laughs> for us here on talk to talk is, uh, 2023. Every time Bill Dwight comes into the studio, it is just, a. Uh, Totally enjoyable and edifying, and seriously, Bill, I'm just so grateful every time we have the opportunity to talk to you. 2024 is coming up. We're going to exploit your kindness again. Oh, sure. I'm not doing anything, so don't worry. You know where to find me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we know where to find you. Yeah, not at the Pleasant Street Village. No, no, store. I'll be sitting downtown just panhandling probably, so yeah. Really? Well, you know, it's just like a bartender. You, you, you want to talk? Just go find Bill Dwight. Meanwhile, thank you all for joining us today on Talk to Talk. We'll be back tomorrow. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Are you an educator? Want to be more confident teaching about environmental issues? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst offers hundreds of curriculum units, lesson plans, classroom activities, and professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. Come check us out. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. 